Hello, everybody, and welcome to the kennel, a Western Bulldogs po- a victorious Western Bulldogs podcast. We've had, you haven't heard the podcast for a while. We are we are back now, and I'm joined once again by Simon Smith. Smitty, how are you? How are you? Good, thanks, Josh. It was uh, yeah. I mean, how can, what can we say? It's just been an amazing, obviously, month of footy and. Um, yeah, it'll be great fun to talk about it. Well, we're going to try and say something about it because otherwise, not not much point having a podcast with no uh, no no words coming out. But I'm also joined by uh, another guest for today's show. I'm joined by uh, Robin Lloyd, my my mother, lifelong Bulldogs supporter. Robin, how are you? How are you all? It's uh, it's good it's good to to have you on now. Robin's the only one of us here who's been alive when a when a second Bulldogs premiership was around. But you didn't uh, didn't attend that game, Robin. No, I'm really dirty. I was one, and mum and dad went and left me home. So never really forgiven them for that, but now I've got my own back. 62 years uh, in the making. Here we are with uh, yeah, – so we haven't done the podcast for, for a couple of months now because uh, I headed overseas for a bit, Simon headed overseas for a bit. But we we, we said that yeah, last week, I think, I spoke to you, Simon, and we said if we happen to get up in the big one, we'll do a, do a recap podcast because – I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about, and there is there is plenty to talk about because it was. It, I, I wouldn't have been able to do this on Saturday. I wouldn't have been able to do this on Sunday. I don't even know if I can do it today, to be honest, because I don't really know the exact words to to put in the the enormity of it. Not only was it the first premiership that we'd won in 62 years, our first grand final in 55 years, but to do it in a historic way, in an unprecedented way, by being the only team to come from seventh to be you know, the team to do it as underdogs in every single game, to be the least experienced team in every single uh, in every single contest, um, and, and to do it basically in every game looking like you're just going to overpower every team at the end of the game. And if the game goes for 20 more minutes, you'd win it by 10 goals, which is how it was sort of looking on, on Saturday. It's it's a remarkable feat. Simon, I'll start with you for just some, some thoughts on the game. But the first question I want to ask you about this game is, when did you think we had it won? Uh I thought Tom Boyd's goal. That that was the. Uh, it's just the way the the players reacted in the crowd. And I mean, you could just see that you just sort of felt it. I mean, it was probably fifteen, well, thirteen points at that stage. But um, we just had the we just had the play, and you know, obviously the Johannesson goal got reversed. But I mean, um, you, you could just sort of sense it, and you know, the crowd was just into it, and you could just yeah, you, you just sort of felt it. So that that's probably when I thought thought we were home. That's uh, that's this goal right here. It was uh, not only was it an, an enormous goal, but enormous in, in the sense of the game. But he's kicked it from inside the centre square after a, just a crunching tackle from from Dale Morris, really, who set up numerous goals with de- with defensive efforts and none more important than that one. But Boyd Boyd was enormous during the game. Robin, I'll ask you: When did you think we had it won? If you thought we had it won at all? Never <laughs> till okay. the final siren. I've seen too many heartbreaks. Although I must admit, the last slam picking goal. I was getting fairly confident and then when you told me how long to go because I didn't realise that at the MCG you can actually find out how long there is to go and there was only oh, two minutes or something and there was the Lee Matthews theory of they had to get three and a half goals. I, I got a bit more confident but never till the final siren's gone do I feel good. Well, that's, uh, that was this goal here. Oh, numbers four. 
Stringer doing well. Dalhouse to Daniel to Stringer. Having an impact at last. That big goal in the last quarter. Good kick. Gives Pickett a chance. It's over. It's all over. The drought. The damn wall is busted. It's 62 long years. Bruce, uh, Bruce obviously agreed with you, Robin, that, uh, that that was over. And you, the team knew it was over at that point. Their beverage came down from the box. I'm sure, I'm, I know both of you have watched the replay a few times uh, since then, but you could see yeah, beverage came down. And if only we had a glanced over at the interchange bench and saw all the players hugging each other and, and celebrating, then we, we would have breathed a little bit easier uh, at that point. I, I had a fair idea that, that after pick and kick that goal, and it was a... Uh, it was as emphatic a goal as you can have to be a, a game ceiling goal. I would say just you know booting a torp from from the edge of the from the edge of the goal line. Basically, it doesn't get any more celebratory than that. And um, yeah, that was that was the one. I, look, Boyd's one. I was pretty confident, but once Pick and dropped that one in, I was uh, I was I was. It was going to be a, a monumental ask for them to come back, and they were, they were dead. Smitty, I don't know if you saw it, but in that last ten minutes, eight minutes, the Swans players could barely move on the on the field. They were they were done. Yeah, I, I, I didn't notice sort of at the time, but um, people said that they'd been... I wasn't listening to the radio during the game. But they said Doc Peter Larkins, who was obviously down on the boundary, they said he said at both halftime and three-quarter time that the Sydney players were just out in their legs. I just cooked. So um, obviously we, we couldn't really tell that from, you know, watching the stand. But, um, yeah, I mean, you could sort of... I mean, watching on the replay now, you can just sort of see how, how much we were sort of outrunning them and... That um, we basically just yeah sort of out gutted them and I mean what can you say about Luke Beveridge? It's just incredible. Well, the the fitness staff must be incredible as well because in the last two finals against GWS and against Sydney, you know, GWS you know, they got up by thirteen points against us in that last quarter and then they barely touched the ball and they were, they were finished in that last ten minutes and we just kept piling on the pressure. We only won by a goal, but they couldn't even get their hands on the ball and there was a a play at one point on Saturday. In the grand final, where Tom Boyd, I think, and Heath Grundy were, were running out on the 50 meter line in our in our four line, and it looked like they were going in slow motion. You know, Boyd got there first, but even their their midfield guys that they, they couldn't they couldn't move. And I said, ten more minutes, and you see you know, McAvaney in that call before said you know, the dam wall's broken. The dam wall was breaking in that game. Like if that had kept going, we we would have won that by by ten. I would say they they were finished. We ran them, and not only we ran them off the legs, we smashed them off the legs. We hit them as hard as, as anyone. Now, Rob, and I was talking to uh, Matt Lee today, who's people who listen to this podcast may know as uh, he's on uh, Sen uh, at times. Oh, I can't. What's his? What do they call him on Sen, Rob? Spider. Spider. Spider on Sen. Uh, speaking to him today, and he said. Um, he said that the way that the way that we played and the way that we, we smashed into people, it was just you know, he goes he goes you think about it why didn't why didn't uh, some of our other teams do that some of our other preliminary final teams yeah you know, why didn't they show that sort of heart and my response was I don't think anybody in the history of the game has has just hit people and been that hard at it I've never seen a team hit another team and just be as aggressive as the ball at the ball as what I've seen the last four weeks. Oh, completely. I mean, sorry, you go, Robin. No, 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 it's okay, go on. Okay, um, I was just going to say that I, I thought probably the past sort of prelim finals we've lost, I mean, on paper, those teams were probably um, more talented in, in terms of just pure ability and, you know, go back through Akimanis and Johnson and these sort of guys, which we had. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, the spirit and the determination of this has just been, it's just been, you know, off the charts. I mean, you just can't say enough about them. 
it, talking to people after the game as well, just the way that, that they play, it's 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 potentially going to change the way that the game is played over the next couple of years, not only with our use of handball, which has been the number one thing you know, throughout the league. Like, our, our handballing is at, at another level. The, the guys don't miss. Like, they hit handballs through their legs, over their heads, um, without looking really where Liber hits guys laying on the ground you know, over his head to a guy running on the outside 10 metres away and then they know where the next guy is after that and, and they're hitting you know, we saw that goal in the second quarter when, when Pickin snapped it and Lockie Hunter hit him with that handball over his head like he knew where he was but the ability to crash in and hit these other teams hard and just basically just just wear them out and, and then keep going at them and then it's it's like a it's like a pack of dogs really now, without using it as a pun, just attacking something until it's, well, maybe maybe it's like hyenas, just attacking something until it's dead and then just keeping on attacking it and then it t- until it eventually just gives up and says, we're, uh, we're done. We, we can't do that. Robin, have you ever seen a team just hit as hard, as consistently as that? No. It's, uh, and what I like about it is they they don't give away a lot of free kicks even though they tackle ferociously, yep. they and they also attack from the front, which means they can see them coming. And I think that sometimes just puts a fear into them as well. Over the final series, I've loved the way we've attacked them so that they could actually see us in their peripheral vision. And I think it's made for, them, for the opposition to be quite wary of us at times, even just perceived pressure. Although our you know our pressure has been absolutely great. You don't want to say that other players are scared because they're not scared because they're out there, but they they are second guessing or they have been second guessing everything they're doing. You can go back to West Coast, you know, Jack Darling at the end of that game, but even before that, their midfielders were thinking: as soon as I get my hands on the ball, I'm going to either cop it in the from from the side, I'm going to cop it from the front, I'm going to just get belted by someone, and it, it worried them. You know, Hawthorne guys like. Hodge, Mitchell, they were dropping easy handballs. Like all these you know, guys, Isaac Smith, they couldn't get near it. GWS, you know, Dylan Shield, you know, just dropping easy marks. Canilio, all these guys who are, you know, who think they're honestly the toughest blokes in the game and honestly the softest butter when it comes down to it. But they just got smashed. And these Sydney guys, this all-star midfield, Hanabry, you know, Parker and Kennedy, and, and Parker and Kennedy are, are, are brick shithouses really. And in the second half, they... Went missing. They 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 weren't there because all these little guys, Dalhouse, Libertore, Smith, even McRae, like guys like that. And McRae's not little, but just smashing into him, Smitty, and and just that's where it all comes from. Just a a, a, a persistence of of attack on these on these opposition teams that eventually they they give in, I guess. And and as McAvaney said again, it just bursts forward and everything. Yeah, comes comes out of that. Um, if you had to name one moment, Smitty, from the game that's sort of a defining moment for you, what is it? Oh, well, I mean, just from one player's point of view, I, I don't know if there's one moment, but there's probably three or four. I thought in the uh, towards the uh, it was in the second half, basically where Tom Boyd was just taking mark after mark in terms of um, just the influence he was he was having on the game and. Um, the fact that he was just, you know, he just copped so much from everyone in terms of just questioning, and obviously we've seen the old Mark Robinson tweet from a couple of years ago, just belittling, you know, the Bulldogs. Um, I just thought the way he stood up and 
you know, he could have, I mean, he could have kicked four. I mean, it'll probably almost cost him the non-Smith, that one he missed just at the end. But I just thought just the presence he had, um, if I just, that, that's the first thing that comes to mind. He, he took two marks uh, on their forward 50, I think, in the, might have been, oh, I don't know if it was the last quarter or third quarter, maybe a second half, two big pack marks down in that same spot and really just, yeah. you know, look, he's always in position for a mark, but it never sticks. But they all stuck. He took six cont- six contested contested grabs for the game. He was he was everywhere, and it, it should it should scare opposition teams that this guy's twenty years old or he's twenty one years old, and then he steps up there, and when they actually see him do that for a full season, um, it, it's going to be a worry because he can he can run out of game, he can run the whole ground, um, and if he starts imposing himself like that, it's it, it's 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 great for us. It, 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 eases everything up on the rest of the team when you just know that there's a guy that he's not going to have games like that every day. We're aware of that at, at this age, but he was he was enormous. And he, he would have been the guy that I would have given the Norm Smith to personally. Um, I, I thought that they would give it to Johannesson, but I would have given it to, to Boyd just, just influence-wise. But Johannesson was, was pretty good as well. Uh, Robin, what was your, what was your you know, one moment, I guess, that, that stands out from the, from the day? Uh, mine was in the third quarter when uh, the ball was over on the members' side uh, in the Swans' forward line and Papley and Buddy were running for it with Dale Morris trudging along in the middle. Papley went for the ball and Buddy had sort of run back to be the, the handball option and Morris just threw himself on it, gathered the ball, got it down to the forward line to where I think Smith might have got the free kick and kicked the goal. But if if Morris doesn't gather that one up, it's it's Buddy having a shot and instead it went down and it was Smith having a shot. I just thought that was absolutely pivotal in how we worked the whole thing, really. Just coming from the back, the endeavour of the back line was absolutely fabulous. Morris uh, had six one percenters in the game, um, which was second highest on the team. Smitty, who who, who led the team in one percenters? Do you reckon? Top of my head, uh, Libba. Nope, it was it was a defender. Fletcher Roberts. No, he uh, he had five. He's normally the king of the one percenters, but he he was a little down in that in that area. It was Joel Hamlin. Joel Hamlin. He had fourteen. Joel Hamlin. Yeah. It, it, it's a massive. It's a massive amount. So it, that's like Smothers, blocks, Shepherds, um, knock-ons. That's what all that sort of stuff in. He's sitting at fourteen. That's it's a huge effort to shut Buddy out. And we hear the commentators going on and on about Buddy's ankle, which okay, fair enough. But I didn't really see any any times where he was you know, struggling with speed. He just got beaten in one-on-one contests. That that was what it looked like. It looked, he was probably hampered a bit, but he was beaten just in one-on-one. Anytime it was a marking contest and Buddy would go with the standard forearm to the throat to try and get his opponent off, it didn't work, and that's got nothing to do with your ankle. So Hamling was uh, was amazing in in, uh, in that section of the game. In terms of you know, iconic moments of, of the entire game, one that I think plenty of people... Um, would have is is the the medal presentation, uh, Luke Beveridge and, and Bob Murphy, obviously, which uh, I've got a clip of here. I'd like to get Bob Murphy up on the stand. This is your moment. Is there anyone? 
And one thing I would have uh, would have enjoyed Bob Bob doing up in that situation is is, is ripping the jacket off and just standing up there in his jumper. He did have it on underneath. Didn't uh, didn't rip it off, but uh, but it showed showed it to the crowd during uh, during the the lap of honor. So that was a. Uh, that was a, obviously a great moment in terms of play on the on the field. Uh, there's there's a number of different things that that I look at. I think in the in the last quarter, I think it was Shane Biggs had had three just amazing tackles, smothers, knock ons to to really help us keep it in that in that forward line. And it's not a big moment, but it sort of typified everything that we'd done all throughout the the end of the season and the finals in particular. Just Blocking every single you know, way that the opposition was going to get it out by by just putting a hand up and smothering a handball and then laying a tackle and just keeping the ball moving forward without letting it get out cleanly and he did that and that that led to us getting a goal. I think it was um I think it was Pickens' first goal in that quarter that 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 led to. So he was he was um he was huge in that sort of sense and it's not a huge moment but it was it just yeah typical of of the way that the team had um had responded all through the game. Now, now Smitty. Norm Smith medal. Johannesson got it. Who would you have picked for the Norm Smith? Or you, you think that Johannesson was was the guy? Oops. Smitty, are you still there? Yeah. Who who would you have who would you have picked for the Norm Smith, or would you, you stuck with uh, Johannesson? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can now. Okay, that's good. Um, who would you have had for the Norm Smith, or would you have stuck with Johannesson? Uh, and just in terms of, I mean, obviously contested marks, as we've spoken about, three massive goals could have easily been four. Um, just his, yeah, his rack work around the ground, backing up roughhead. Um, Janison obviously had an you know exceptional game. I just thought, you know, particularly in the first half, he probably did turn the ball over quite a bit. So I thought that might have sort of counted against him. But I mean, was would have either had him or I mean, the three, the three of either him, I mean Boyd, um, Johannesson, or Liam Pickin, who was just probably the player of the finals. So, I mean, I would have gone with Boyd. Robin, who, who would you have gone with? Uh, at the ground, I would have gone with Boyd. I thought he was outstanding, but it's a strange situation because when I've come home and watched the replay. The fellow that I think had the most influence was Jackson McRae. And when you're actually at the ground, you don't see all the little things that he does. But the number of times he was the bloke that just had that hand in, just pushed the ball forward, just handballed out of the pack. He's like he always seems to give the impression that he's an outside the the one that they handball out to. But the number of times on the weekend that he was the guy in the middle of the pack getting it out was absolutely phenomenal and it just gave you a different perspective on the whole game to watch it on the replay other than being there live. So I'm not sure the people would vote whether they watch it off a monitor or whether they just watch it like you and I sitting in the stand, but it gives you a... I still would have given it to Tom Boyd, but Jackson McRae played, played an absolute blinder as far as I'm concerned. 
Liver led the team in contested possessions with 15, but McRae was second with 14 contested possessions, which it's a huge amount, especially like when you've got the other guys like Dalhouse, who had 11, who's normally right up there in in that area. You know, Bont had 11 as well, but McRae had 14, and he had 19 uncontested, which was second in the team in that category as well. So he was doing both things. Yeah, Johansson did turn it over a little bit early on, but I reckon he, he almost affected as many turnovers going the other way and, and took the ball out, you know, clearing it out of their their. Um, Ford 50 yeah, numerous times where well, he had he had seven rebound 50s as well so he was the guy taking it out so yeah he turned it over when he turned it over he turned it over in our Ford 50 he didn't turn it over across the middle or in their back half so they're not quite as damaging they look bad when he's streaming forward and he's kicking it straight to them but I think he probably got it back off them more times than he, than he gave it up and he was he was all over the place. He, he broke things open. He was he was quick, and I, I thought that that's who they were going to give it to based on what had happened during the day. Again, I would I would have gone with Boyd, um, but you know, people watching it at home, you know, numerous people said, "Oh, you know, Picken was was enormous," and and he was, but I didn't really get that sense necessarily. Look, he kicked those three goals, but I didn't get the sense that he was right in there. But he was providing a huge amount of stuff for this um for this team and just doing you know, what he does. And and I can't remember who it was that said it when I one of the many replays that I watched. That he just doesn't. You know, Dale Morris doesn't lose a one-on-one, but Leon Pick, Liam Pickin doesn't lose a one-on-one in the forward line either, and that's that's pretty key when you've got a guy that if you kick it up to him, Smitty, it's just he's not he's not losing it. Like he's either making it a draw or he, he's getting the ball himself. So he he was enormous in that setting as well. Oh, completely. I mean, as was probably I'm not sure if you saw it in the paper, but um, um, uh, Peter Gordon mentioned how. Um, Luke Beveridge is obviously, you know, the, obviously the ridiculously good job he's done. But um, he mentioned how the previous coach McCartney had players such as Morris Boyd Pickin, who were just immense, um, had their papers all but stamped a couple of years ago, and um, you know he didn't see them as the future of the club. And obviously we've seen now what an impact they've had, and um, it just goes to show. I mean, the, the amazing, you know, change in two years is just, it's just incredible, and. Um, yeah, I mean Liam Pickin. I mean, I mean the amount. Of, I mean, I think there was about five players that have come off the rookie list that were in the yeah we had the grand final. We had five, and Johansson and, and Pickin and Dalhouse, um, Morris and Boyd. Like you, you could make an argument that out of your, your top five players on the day, yeah, Johansson, Pickin, and Dalhouse, and even Morris, you know, maybe your top seven. That four of those guys yeah. come off the rookie list, and, and Boyd was Boyd was steady. I, I wouldn't say he was fantastic. I'd say he was he was pretty good though. And yeah, just a huge amount of success with with the rookie list. Um, Robin, what did you think of Bonds and Pally's game? Um, I think we probably set too high a standard for him. He looks, uh, he's just got class written all over him. He makes a lot of yardage, but I don't think he stood out yet. I think the statistics will say he probably did. Yeah, he went at ninety one percent efficiency. He had he had twenty touches. He had eleven contested. He if you look at super coach points, which takes whatever formula they use. I've got no idea what they use. He was clearly the best player on the ground uh, by that by that statistic. Yeah, miles better than anyone on our team. McRae was second. They were the only two blokes that got over a hundred points in that in that statistic, just because of the quality of his touches. Like he set up two of Boyd's goals um, with just you know, pinpoint kicks. His ability to sort of evade traffic and, and get key sort of mid-chain handballs as well is something that he did tremendously and it didn't again I think you're right about setting too high a bar we expect him to go out there and have 35 but 
it's just not what he does. He goes out and influences it with 22 or 23. I think maybe we're, he, he looked a little bit down because he didn't go and take those you know, couple of big grabs he normally takes in the Ford 50 and kick a couple of goals, which is what he's done you know, pretty much all season. And he didn't, he didn't really move into the Ford 50 all that often during the game at all. But what he did you know, efficiency-wise, hardness-wise, you know, he, he had six clearances as well. He took the ball out of the defensive 50. He, he did everything all over the field and set up a ton of stuff. So we might say, oh, he was a little bit down, but he was still, he was still pretty, uh, pretty impactful. I, I would say, um, Smitty Jake Stringer, not his best performance, but I think as he's done through most of the finals, just in the last quarter, he just does something that makes you go, oh, I'm, I'm glad he was there because the first three quarters were, were terrible, but then just something little that he that he comes up with. And he had a few things in that last quarter, but that's you know, he's got to obviously work on consistency. But he, he was pretty poor before that, but. Yeah, when you when you pay it back with it with a massive goal in the last quarter, it's a, it's huge for the team. Yeah, I mean that goal obviously was just just absolutely crucial, put us up by seven points. But um, he was yeah pretty infuriating. I, I was pretty yeah, I was it was making me really sort of annoyed because you know you're sort of kicking balls out in the full and overrunning balls and fumbling and the sort of carried on from last week. It was pretty it was pretty ordinary in Sydney. But um, as you said, that sort of that's what he can do. If not one goal, he'll kick three or four in the space of 20 minutes. I mean, that's, you know, essentially why he's in the team. He's, you know, he's got that freakish ability. But as you said, um, yeah, if he could eventually sort of string three, four quarters together on a consistent basis, I mean, you know, he could be anything, but um, he's he's obviously worth his, his spot in the side. Yeah, he, look, it wasn't even necessarily about the goals at the end. Like at the start, he was fumbling everything, but he started to get his hands on the ball a little bit. But yeah, that goal was a, if you watch the replay of that goal, the, the speed that he gets it from from hand to foot is incredible, and to get it through in that sort of time was great. But just he started getting involved with, with grabbing the ball, locking it in the Ford fifty, dishing out handballs, um, yeah, putting pressure on. Like he set up Pickens' last goal, he got the he had the ball and got it to McLean for when he got his free kick that missed on the siren. He just started getting his, his hands on stuff when it really started to matter which, again, is, is is key, but you'd want him to do it uh, a little bit more often than that, um, hopefully. But, hey, we, we can't really complain with uh, with the end result. Tory Dixon kicked three goals again. Um, he basically averages three goals a game in the final. I think he did average three a game in the finals. And, uh, Robin, that game against Hawthorne where he kicked the three points, it was the first time in his AFL career that he'd kicked three points in, in one game, which just is testament to his, to his accuracy. He just, again, just... Amazing that one of these players we talk about rookie list guys like he's not even a rookie list guy he's a out of the VFL um, just a, a huge performance for him just to do exactly what was necessary from him. Amazing, really. Um, and weren't we all stunned in that Hawthorne match when he kept missing easy shots? We're just not used to that because he is so accurate. But you know, nerves get to everyone. And just back to Jake Stringer, I really think sometimes the harder you try, the worse you go. And I think we just need, he just needed his confidence. He's obviously a confidence player. And those couple of out-of-bounds on the full, you know, if one of them just cut swings in, it could have been the difference in his whole day's attitude. But as you said, they say you don't have to have the game of your life. You only have to have the moment. And toward the end, he had a couple of really impressive moments. And that would hopefully, you know, give him the confidence to think, well, I have still got it. I, I just think he's a young man and there's been a heap put on him and maybe 
it's just been a bit too much for him. I think uh, I think that the the performance of Boyd will definitely ease some of the pressure on him coming into next season. The return of Cramery will also ease the pressure on. I think we can't understate how much the absence of Cramery I think hurts Stringer because it just is an extra option, an extra running option. They both can play that running down both sides basically, and it takes some of that attention away from him. And if Boyd continues to step up, I don't really have too much of a concern with Stringer doing that again next season. Just with that added firepower back in that in that front half, you. Putting putting the the stress on on the defense to be able to to move around it and he can do what he does best because he, he's not a lead up guy he, he's a he's a guy that you know, grabs him on the run you know, get gets it out of packs and, and bursts things open in, in that sense but he definitely he wasn't at his best but there was look I was talking to my brother about this after the game we had a few guys that that weren't at their best and, and we still knocked off the number one team and beat them by four goals you know, Caleb Daniel was was well below. His par. Yeah, Jordan Ruffhead had a couple of nice marks, but it wasn't his most influential game through the finals. I don't think there's anyone that could say that. Clay Smith was was well down from what he'd done in the earlier, the Hawthorne and the GWS games, he, and even the West Coast game, probably his worst game of the finals. Um, so these some of the Lockie Hunter was was good, but he wasn't spectacular. He had he had a few nice handballs and a few nice setups in the Ford Fifty, but he wasn't going out there and getting 30, 35 touches. So he was a little bit down on some of his form as well. So it's not like that everybody played the game of their lives. And I think that's a, a great sign when you consider the other players that, that are coming back into the side next season in terms of sustained success. That you did it with all these guys not playing at at, at their optimum and and. The only player you could really say had a career best game was was Boyd, or unless I'm missing someone. Smitty, is there someone else you'd look at and go, they had the game of their life in this game? Uh, probably, probably not the game of their life. I mean, there's obviously you know a lot of consistent guys like you know Pickin and Dalhouse, and yeah. obviously you, as Robin said, maybe McCray. put you put Hamling in that in that category, maybe. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously not this, you know nine possessions or whatnot, yeah. but um, as you said, fourteen one percenters, but. It's um yeah I mean it was just such an even performance and obviously the contested possessions again were the were the difference. Oh, the, absolutely the the difference and it's you know, we've been the number one contested possession team for pretty much the entire season. We had the number one defense for most of the season and that sort of eased off as the season went on as we lost Murphy, Johannesson, Wood, Boyd. Morris you know, at, at times through the season when you had five of your Adams, you know, six of your starting back six were out at times during the season. So that's why that defense fell off. And you know, I think the average points were though Sydney was 68 and we were 73. So it wasn't a big gap between one and two there. So we always had that you know, tremendous defense and everything was sort of set up uh, on, on the back of that. I think that's you know, probably the best way of, uh, of looking at that. Um, Josh, Dun- Josh Dunkley is another guy who, who was solid, but he wasn't he wasn't at his best. He had you know, better games against Hawthorne. He was fantastic. Again, just a, a young player, like 19 years old. He's got yeah, obviously huge room to, to grow, but he, his, his forward pressure was great. Same as Zane Cordy. And these are guys that don't need big um, big possession games to be really effective players. And Cordy is just, yeah, Robin, he's just really super strong and aggressive at this point. And again, it's really early in his career, but he looks like he's, he's found a, a pretty significant role there up forward just as that. Um, defensive forward, you know, aggressive, hard guy at that that takes on some of these bigger players. There, his tackling pressure is um, phenomenal. Like he tackled a couple of blokes, there was no way they were get, ever getting out of his grip. He almost, uh, he almost and, killed Dan uh, Hanbury, I think, in one of them. He slammed him that hard it, into the ground. Yeah, I actually don't think Dan Hanbury recovered from that all day because even in the third quarter. 
I think up until about the 13-minute mark, he'd had one touch in the third quarter. So I don't reckon Dan Hanabry came good after that Dane Cordy tackle. No, that was that was a monster tackle. That that hurt him a lot, and it was it wasn't no no sling tackle. No, he just he just pounded him. Um, he got that first goal from you know from wrapping up Callum Mills as well. It just you know, just doing everything that you know, that he was asked to do. I'm sure just go in there, crunch into guys, bring the ball to ground, and do 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 your little bit. And he's done it pretty much the the entire final series. Just doing those little bits without getting the ball a lot. Just lead up, take a few marks on the wing, push it forward, compete against these guys like Grundy. Although Grundy still played really well, obviously. He was probably their best player, um, yeah, ex- excluding Kennedy. But you could even make the argument that yeah, Kennedy went missing in the second half, whereas Grundy did stand up. And if it wasn't for Grundy, oh, we, we would have been... I reckon we would have been six up at three-quarter time if it wasn't for Heath Grundy. Who would you rate as their best player? Uh, yeah, I mean, you probably you probably said it correctly then. I mean, you probably put it on the par. I mean, obviously Kennedy's first half was pretty amazing. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if it wasn't for Grundy, if they just had, if, you know, in, instead of him, they had just a, I suppose, just an average sort of player in his his place. I mean, the, the game could have been blown out pretty early because his, yeah, I mean, it was you're sort of wondering whether it was our poor kicking or his sort of good play, but it was probably more, you know how well he was playing, the, the, the intercept marks he was taking, um, kept them in it for, for a half long time. In the second half, we had 16 scoring shots and they had seven scoring shots. Um, I don't I don't remember if I mentioned this earlier, but in the last quarter, it was 22 inside 50s to seven. That's triple the amount of inside 50s in a quarter. It is a ludicrous amount of domination in that in that time period. And again, if it wasn't for, for Grundy and to a lesser extent, Rampy, um, it, it could have been, it could have been over a, a lot quicker. And that's obviously thinking best case scenario for us in, in that sort of situation. But um, Grundy was really good. Robin, who, who did you think their best guy was? Oh, both of those. I, I don't think really they had anybody else other than those two that stood out all day. Their so-called, I buddy got a few kicks in the last quarter, but a long way up the ground. Most, you know, a couple of them were on the half back line. Um, but I don't really think anybody else stood out for them. They're, they're so called. Karen Jack was terrible. Gary Rowan was terrible. Kurt Tippett was terrible. Gary, Gary Rowan they're, had five touches. Oh, their stars just didn't shine at all. Um, so apart from those two, I don't think they could actually have anybody that held their head up. Tom Mitchell was was really good in in the first half. He had thirteen tackles as well, so he was putting on a lot of pressure. I thought he was pretty oh, he was pretty good. Yeah, he was probably. I forgot him. Yeah, you have to say that he he was solid. But yeah, you're right. Hanabry never recovered after Cordy smashed him, and then he, he had that knee issue um, with that with that Eastern Wood um, yeah, con- contest on, on the wing. There really just. It, it's it's you see all these names and when I was thinking coming into the game, look these these guys are these guys are, are big and, and strong and really good. Look, you know, Kennedy's awesome. You know, Hanabry, Jack, all these guys. Yeah, McVeigh, I don't really rate that highly, but but he's there. You know, Franklin, obviously Parker. These guys are all Australian level players, um, and it was going to be a challenge, but we they they wilted their 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 humans, and it seems like some of our guys aren't human. And one of the players, Smitty, that I, I don't believe is fully human on our team is Tom Libertore. There is no no looser unit and, and no more animal of a player than, than Libba. And you know, Kennedy had 22 touches in the first half and then Libba went on to him and he, he kicked a goal. But what, what else did he do in the second half? He got he got Libba. He, he just got killed. 
Not sure. Did you see his um, interview when he was walking the boundary? Liber, when they asked him about the cricket. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's. Uh, I, I did enjoy the Funky Miller reference. Yeah. That's. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, everyone says he's he's pretty he's pretty loose and he's you know obviously likes a good time, but um, you know once you get him on the footy field, he's just like his old man, isn't he? Yeah, he's he, his strength is extraordinary. He he just rips the ball out, out of contest and, and feeds it out to you know the, the guy who's who's next there, whether it's you know, Dalhouse is in there or, or Bontempelli's in there, but he just rips it out and then gets that handball over the top of, like, he can be laying down and, and handball somehow over the guy standing above him to someone running on the outside. And look, he only had 22 touches. It's not many, but he had eight tackles. He took Kennedy out of the game. He had he had eight clearances as well. And I don't know what more that, that he could do. And he was he was instrumental. And if you talk about guys just having an impact and being the, the reason that, that we win, he's, he's up there. Like, he, the game against GWS, he had a quiet game. But for the last four minutes, he was clearly the best man on the ground, and and he won us that game. And it, even if it's just the first ten minutes of that third quarter, like he, he won us that game by just making Kennedy just go, okay, well, this guy's not really human. Like this guy's gonna be just bashing me the entire game. And there was one thing I think in the third quarter where you see there's like a, a ball up, and of course Libba's in some sort of a stash, and, and they, he comes up, and him and Kennedy are like holding each other's jumpers, and Kennedy just looks at him. And just is like just sort of just drops it and goes. I don't think I'm. I don't think I really want to go on with this. And that's sort of a to me. It was just a okay. He, he's got him. And and Kennedy disappeared basically after. And Kennedy's a great player, but he got he got libbed in a in a pretty significant way in in that game. Look, it was just the game was was amazing. The 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 atmosphere of the ground. I, I can't judge. Smith, have you been to another grand final? Uh, yeah, I have not for a few years, but I have been to yeah, I've been to quite a quite a number. What so, was the what's the what's the crowd noise like? Uh, at a grand final? Yeah, well, in comparison to this one, because this it seemed it seemed ludicrous, and I, you hear you know, commentators saying this is the loudest I've heard this ground. And I, who knows if they're just if they're just saying it because they're in the moment? Like, how how was that noise comparable to what you'd seen in in previous in previous grand finals? Uh, to be com- uh, completely honest, I thought it was the loudest. Um, because, I mean, I haven't been one for quite a few years, but, um, I mean, the week before in Sydney, that I mean, obviously there's only 20,000-seat stadium, but that was out of control because it was just, you were just so entrapped. But, you know, I mean, probably two-thirds of the crowd were Bulldogs. But on the weekend, it was, yeah, I mean, you can obviously tell that um, the crowd was predominantly, you know, all the, all the neutral supporters were for us. And um, I thought it was probably the loudest, but um, I might be wrong. One way that you can not you can check it really, but when you watch the replay of Boyd's goal and Pickens' goal, which I played the clips of before, and if you if you really watch them on TV, you can and if anyone's got any sort of audio background that's listening to this, the audio gets clipped. Like it, it's too loud for the microphones. It gets to that level when you're looking at say audio waves, they've got that point on it. It, it gets it's squared off. It, it gets clipped because it's too loud, and you just hear that that sort of fuzz of. This is too loud for our mic. We got the microphones turned up to a certain level because this is the the sound level that we we normally get, and it catches the full range of of, of vocals and all that sort of stuff happening. After Boyd's goal and after Pickens' goal, is that the definite sound of we can't handle any more any more sound through these microphones? And it, it's a pretty weird sound to hear. It's just this. It's like that fake crowd sound that people make with their mouths, but it was that on a an extraordinary level. Uh, 
Robin, how uh, how long did you cry for after the game? Well, I've been crying since the Sydney, since since the GWS one. So that's a week and two days. <laughs> Smitty, Smitty, oh, hey. many tears come from you. I did. I probably cried more at the Sydney game, actually. Um, yeah, I think I did too. I yeah, I don't know why. I was just in the moment. And um, you just think about, you know, it just means so much to so many people. And, um, yeah, I did. I did a little bit on the weekend, but probably the more the week before. Yeah, the Sydney one was was like I, I didn't go. I, I was I was here watching it, but there was there was a lot of tears. I, I definitely cried on Saturday, but for some reason there was more coming. It was more. I think there was there was more pressure in the GWS one um, yeah. for for yeah. us to win, and it was more uh, a relief. And this one, it was more enjoyment, which is a slightly different feeling, but it was still obviously. And, and I, I think also it. I didn't really believe it was happening. Like I didn't, it doesn't, you don't see all those streamers come out and you just don't see red, white and blue come out of them. Like it just doesn't happen. You don't, you know, I've, I've thought to myself for 20 years since, you know, since 92 preliminary final, you know, imagining in my head, Craig Willis, even back then, I think he was 75 years old back in 92. Like he, he'd come up onto the onto the podium in my mind and read out all the players and, you know, and here's your captain, you know, Scott Wind, and imagine that. But you never expect it to be to actually ever happen. And when it when it happened and the song was playing and the and the streamers are blowing out of those things on the back of those trucks, it just didn't it didn't really make sense. And I didn't really know what to what to what to do with it. We we as a club, we're obviously starved of success and no one knew what, really what to do leading up to the game and I still don't really know how, how to process it. Robin, have you accepted it yet or not yet? I'm not really sure. It's a, it's a strange sort of feeling because I've said all my life, you know, I don't know how I'd function and I really don't know how to function. But you know what I found it today? I hadn't been shopping last week. I hadn't done the washing last week. There was a whole lot of things I just hadn't done for a whole week and I don't know what I've been doing. So it's just been one of the, it's like I've been living in a fog since the Greater Western Sydney game. Yeah. But anyway, lovely fog. I think I did all my uh, like I I did a bunch of work after before that that GWS game, so I didn't have to really push anything through in case we won. And same thing as this week, just because I, I didn't know, or well, even if we lost, I didn't know how I was going to deal with it. But you know, winning is losing is something we're more more used to and probably easier to process in that sort of sense because you sort of go in going yeah well this is probably what's always going to happen and it just i think every single bulldog support everyone listening to this podcast would have said to themselves i don't think i'll ever see it i'm sure you've said it to yourself smitty yeah i mean you never lose hope obviously and um you know obviously the last couple of years have been you know before this sort of final series we've obviously seen a hell of a transformation but you just you, you sort of almost just throw your hands in the air and you just think, gosh, you know, it's, not, it's never going to happen. So now that it has happened, I mean, you sort of don't know how to react. So it's as everyone's Robin and everyone, everyone's probably feeling the same. It's just it's it's going to take a while to sink in. Yeah, I think it's going to when when you start seeing, um, yeah, things going around like you know, let's buy the grand final DVD, um. Stuff like that, you know. Here's the season highlights package DVD. Here's, you know, let's watch this through, you know, Fox Tell or, or you know, Fox Footy or through the off season. Like, this is all happening, and then you can go back and, and and watch how it all sort of developed when you know you're buying your Premiership logos on 
drink bottles and and stuff like that. That stuff's all around it, and the club the club's going to make a lot of money out of out of merchandise, which is great for the club. Obviously, the uh, membership sales and the social club um, allocation is completely full now this season. So they've already sold out of those social club memberships for next season. So it's a huge financial windfall for the club as well, and. Not only that, it's it's joyous for for everyone in, involved. I think it's probably the, the best way of of saying it, Robin. Before we uh, before we close off the, the show here, what um, what's if you had to sum it up in two minutes, how, how would you, how would you sum it up? Just the game, or how yeah, just, about the just whole everything. final series? Just yeah, look. the whole final the whole final series. I hope they put out a box DVD set. Because it all started with West Coast. The day they, the went, day to they went to West Coast, Coast I couldn't I believe they were that. And then it's just gone on from there. So it's been a whole month of just sheer bliss. I can't, I can't put it into words. I've, I've waited my whole life. The the West Coast one. Four weeks. We, we missed a couple of goals couple early of goals. on, and then after you know they kicked them, but. At the end of the first quarter, from then it was just on, and that was that was basically it. Smitty, how would you how would you wrap it up? It, or let's put it this way: if you were to describe it to someone, and I have this issue, I work obviously with a lot of people in the United States, so I'm doing a lot of stuff yep. in an in an NBA related um, capacity, and I try to explain it to all these people that come on my other podcast and explain the situation. How would you explain what it actually? What it actually means, because when you, if you tell someone that there's yeah, seventy thousand people at the ground barracking for one team and every one of them is crying, people might look at you and go, "What are you, what are you talking about? Like, why is this affecting everybody in exactly the same way?" How do you sum that up? How would you describe that? Yeah, it, I mean, it's as you said, it's it, it, I don't know how to describe it, but um, but just from the players' point of view and the coaching, I think just the amount of belief he's it's just it's just the belief. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I don't think. We, we definitely. This was obviously ahead of time. I don't think we expected this to to occur for at least another couple of years. And um, you know, we, we, the team's only going to get better. I mean, I'm you know, you, you're not trying to be too confident or anything like that. But we've got obviously X amount of players to come back from injury and and whatnot. But I think it obviously it means just so much, as you said, when you got three quarters of the place just crying is. It just means so much to so many people. You know, 62 years, most people have waited a lifetime. Um, and, you know, I mean, you just, I mean, Luke Beveridge, his, his record speaks for itself, obviously, and the amateurs are now coming through with Hawthorne and Collingwood and Bulldogs. I mean, I don't know. It's just, yeah, I mean, you can just see the belief in the players and how much they love the coach and they love each other. And it's just a... You know, we just hope we can just keep this going because there's no reason they're going to stop. So we we should just make the most of it. What you said is right. That our best players are all like 22 years old or or younger. Um, well, not necessarily our best players, but a big core of our best players are, are, are that age. Like the average age of the team is just over 24 years old, and you take Boyd and Morris out of that, and you're talking that the average age is probably 22 or 23 for some for for the rest of this team. Given just you know the, the core, the key core guys. There's they're, they're so young like Bonton Pally's twenty Libba would see twenty three twenty four Delhouse the same, yeah you know, McRae is twenty one twenty two Stringer's twenty two Johannesson's the same age you know, Boyd's twenty one yeah you know, Woods the only sort of guy that's really in that twenty seven year year age group or maybe Roughhead's similar to that that but there's just so many young guys in that group and I think you know, you throw in all this stuff about 
you know, the the people crying and the emotion. It goes back to, to losing seven prelims in a row. It goes back to the 89 merger. It goes back to um, you know, 96 and and the uh, the rebranding of, of the team from you know, Footscray to Western Bulldogs and the, the Smorgan the Smorgan takeover of the board. You go back to 2014 and you know, the, the Griffin, McCartney, Cooney, Garlic, Exodus, and where people just like, what's happening at this club? No one wants to be there. You know, we've been down for four or five years. You know, where where do we go from here? And then it's just that's been a constant theme throughout the history of, of this team, this club for you know for as long as it's been around. It's just that sort of stuff is constantly around, and that's why it just. So many people are just like, oh yeah, we hope we hope it'll happen, but we're just resigned to think this is this is Footscray. Like it just it, it doesn't happen to us. Like it just yeah, you know, oh that was great. We saw Sydney do it in two thousand five, but it just doesn't happen to us. And that's why people are just like it happened, and we don't. Nobody knows how to process. It. I don't think there's one person who's listening to this podcast that would actually know how to look. Maybe if you listen to this a week later, you might understand it, but nobody actually I think would be able to get a grasp of full understanding of of what it means to them themselves what it means to the club what it means to the football community what it means to the victorian you know, community it is it is just the 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 weirdest situation i've probably ever been involved in so i think we'll we'll leave it at that and let's hope that we have you know a successful trade period coming up the boys get back and everyone's back in business with some big names coming back into the team next season and uh, ready to go to uh, to go back to back. Let's hope. Robin, thank you for uh, for joining us. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Simon. Smitty, good to talk to you again. And uh, obviously, it couldn't have uh, come under happier circumstances. No, I completely agree. It was great, great, great chat. Thanks, thanks, Josh. Thanks, Robin. All right, that's it, guys. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. <laughs>